Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am very well. My goodness. After being inside the house for many, many months, I have had my first shopping experience. And the shop I went into was The Chemist wasn't for anything serious, but it was the first shop I was in. And I stood there, I was the only person in the shop. I was just overwhelmed with a feeling of the need to buy things. So I was just looking, going, oh my goodness, Bongella, I must have some of that. Uh, Plasters, oh, I must get some of those. Honest to goodness, who knows what will happen when I am actually let loose in a bookshop? You know, it's it's going to need lorries to draw up behind me, I think, for the amount that I would like to buy. Not how much I would, but anyway. Yes, and that was my very exciting shopping experience. What about you? Have you been shopping? Well, I don't know about shopping, but my lovely lot on the Facebook group have been reading books, which is great. So um, if you haven't joined us already, you're very welcome. Come over to Facebook, put in the QuickBook Reviews podcast, and uh, and do join us. Um, so at the moment, we've got Victoria, who's reading The Rosy Result by Graham uh, Simpson. Sal is reading Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. I haven't read that one. Laura's reading The Big Chill by Doug Johnston. Love that book. Uh, Laura's reading The Miseducation of Evie Epworth. Love that book. My goodness, yes. Um, Mark's reading Devolution by Max Brooks. I haven't read that and that looks a bit scary, Mark, for, for me, but it looks really interesting. Uh, Joanne's reading uh, Killing the Shadows by Val McDermott. Brilliant. Um, Zoe's reading Goldilocks by Laura Lamb. Now, I hadn't read that one and I have moved it onto my I would like to acquire this book list because it does look really good. Uh, Steph's been reading Our House by Louise Cavendish. Rachel's been reading The Murder Game, Rachel Abbott. Gosh, that's another author who who churns out a lot of books and I don't mean churning in a bad way that woman can write um Carol is reading Just My Luck by Adele Parks well I did enjoy the audio book version of that so be interesting to see what uh, what Carol thinks and Helen's reading uh Homegoing by Yar Jesse 
And that looks a really interesting book as well. So my goodness, it is all happening on the Facebook group. So you're welcome to come and join us there. And you can get hold of me in the usual places, Twitter, Instagram. You can email me at quickbookreviews at outlook.com. But let me stop waffling because I have some fine books to tell you about today. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, five books. Actually, I wouldn't say five great books. There's one that mm, is okay and the rest are good books. So there we go. The first one is great. The first one is called Little Disasters by Sarah Vaughan. And uh, it starts with this. A dark, cold Friday night. A night like any other. Until a mother rushes into a busy a department with her baby daughter. The on-duty doctor is her best friend. What happens next will change everything. A doctor forced to make a decision a mother living with the consequences. Um, I saw this book come out when lockdown first started and I wanted to support the author. She had written Anatomy of a Scandal, which is a great book. Um, and so I thought, right, I'm going to get this. But I had never got round to reading it. And I kept looking at it thinking, oh, you look like a really good book. Um, and then suddenly NetGalley, I don't know if you use NetGalley, but you can review books on NetGalley. Usually they're just ebooks, um, but they've just started doing audiobooks. Now, ebooks are not my thing, but audiobooks are. And one of them that they had was Little Disasters, which so I thought I've got to read it. And also, um, I don't even remember, but when I interviewed Holly Watts uh, several weeks ago now, she talked about this book as well that she was reading and said it was really interesting. So when I could listen to the audiobook, I did. Um, my goodness, this is a great book. It's a very thought provoking book. Um, it's sort of domestic noir. I don't know if that, that's the right way of describing it, but it's this. It, it, in some ways, it's quite simple. In other ways, it's quite complex. You just are unraveled a bit by bit of the story and you know that something has happened and, and you want to know what what the truth of the matter is and how events in life affect relationships friendships families all sorts of things i i really enjoyed it um so little disasters by sarah vaughan and hold your horses sarah vaughan's going to come on this podcast so when i finish going through these books to talk to you about you'll be able to hear Sarah and I discussing this book and it's worth listening to. She's got a lot of really um, important things to say and it's you know subjects covered in this book are phenomenal. So, Little Disasters, Sarah Vaughan. Currently it's out in hardback and audiobook and ebook. Um, and of course it will be out in paperback as well. And Sarah Vaughan had written Anatomy of a Scandal, which was a Sunday Times uh, bestseller. Um, so she is well known and uh, well regarded. So that's a great book to start with. And I'll be delighted to talk to her a little while later. So that's book number one. Now, book number two, hmm, I had high hopes. Let me tell you what the book is. It's The Second Sleep by Robert Harris. And it's actually just come out as one of the new Richard and Judy selection. Now, whatever you think about Richard and Judy, oh, if you're not in the UK, Richard and Judy are some talk show hosts that don't do a lot of TV now, but have carried on with their book show. And every few months they issue a list of about six books that they really rate. 
Um, and there's some discussion about how you have to pay to play and all of that. But nevertheless, the books usually, I think, are really good, enjoyable ones. Um, so the fact that they'd selected this made me think, oh, I need to read the book. I had bought it some time ago because I really enjoy some of Robert Harris's books um, and I've been meaning to read it. So I thought, well, it's on this list. There's a lot of interest in it. Let me read it. Um, I'll read you the blurb. 1468, a young priest, Christopher Fairfax, arrives in a remote Exmoor village to conduct the funeral of his predecessor. The land around is strewn with ancient artefacts, coins, fragments of glass, human bones, which the old parson used to collect. Did his obsession with the past lead to his death? As Fairfax is drawn more deeply into the isolated community, everything he believes about himself, his faith and the history of his world is tested to destruction. Now, um, it's fair to say that pretty early on in this book, there is quite a twist. And I heard Robert Harris being interviewed by Graham Norton. Um, I listened to his interview by Richard and Judy. And in those interviews, they talked very openly about that big twist. I'm not going to mention what that twist is because I think it does spoil some of the reading of the book. And I don't know if I would have enjoyed the book more if I hadn't heard uh, the news of that twist. And it's not as if the people interviewing him were giving anything away. The author himself was talking very openly about this twist. I wish I had just taken it on face value. Um, but it it didn't work for me. It didn't it just didn't take me and it's an enjoyable story it's thought-provoking it's interesting but it it's not a it's not an amazing book and that's a shame because as I say Robert Harris is a good author and for it to be selected on the list and uh, lots of people getting it and it's over 300 pages it, it just it lost me and it failed to grip me um, and as always, I'm sure that's my fault because I went in with certain expectations, having heard about this initial twist. And it just because I knew what was coming, it, it wasn't um, the revelation that it might be for others. So I'd be interested to hear what you think um, if you read it and you didn't know anything about it and you just took the, the blurb for what it is, um, whether whether it meant more to you, resonated more with you and was a, a really good book. Um, see see what you think and please let me know because it's a sh I don't like not enjoying a book, um, especially one by such an accomplished author. But uh, sorry, no, The Second Sleep didn't quite hit it from me. Um, the next book I did enjoy and um, it's called Dear Emmy Blue by Leah Lewis. Um, so Emmy Blue has a secret. A long time ago, Emmy Blue released a red balloon with a secret message hidden inside. And against all odds, across hundreds of miles of ocean, it was found on a beach in France by a boy called Lucas. 14 years later, on the eve of her 30th birthday, Emmy hopes that Lucas is finally about to kiss her. She never expected him to announce that he was marrying someone else. Suddenly, Emma's dreams are shattered and the one person in her life she can rely on is slipping through her fingers. But what if Lucas isn't her forever? What if her love story is only just beginning? Um, uh, I really enjoyed this. It's what I would describe as um, uplit. So it, it's feel good. Um, it's an easy read. You... you 
aren't left doubting the whether the story is true and you're not doubting the characters it's all very believable it's a nice light refreshing change from a lot of the other books that are available at the moment um, and I really enjoyed it I will remember it I remember how at times I felt frustrated with her because I believe the character so much and and as a reader you can sometimes see things that the character can't and you're just like oh go on um, and yes there is a bit of a twist at the end and yes, I had worked out what that twist was, but I don't think that's an issue at all because it's not like a, a thriller or a suspense novel where the, if you've worked out the twist, your enjoyment is um, sort of mitigated. Not at all. It, it sort of added to the story as well because I could see what was happening and just thinking, oh my goodness. Um, so if you have, if like me, you're a fan of crime and thriller, but you've just got a bit a bit bogged down um, and you want something uplifting, um, something joyful, a nice change, then I think you would really enjoy this. As I say, it's Dear Emmy Blue by Leah Lewis. Um, it's just a it's just a nice, warm book to read. Uh, and not happy in all places. It's not all uh, jumping for joy and hula hoops and all of that. I don't know why I say hula hoops. What's that got to do with joy? But anyway, it's not all jumping for joy and hula hoops. There's some sadness to it as well. Sometimes there aren't hula hoops in this book. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. It's one I'll be uh, suggesting to others. The next book is called The Last to Know by Joe Furness. And this was another book I enjoyed. So let, let me read you the blurb on this one. American journalist Rose Kinniston has just relocated to the childhood home of her husband, Dylan in the English village of his youth. There's a lot for Rose to get used to in Hurtwood, like the family's crumbling mansion inhabited by Dylan's reclusive mother and the treacherous hill it sits upon, a place of both sinister folklore and present dangers. Then there are the unwelcoming villagers who only whisper the name Kinniston like some dreadful secret, a curse. Everyone knows what happened at Hurtwood House 20 years ago. Everyone except Rose. And now that Dylan is back, so are the rumours about his past. When an archaeological dig unearths human remains on the hill, local police sergeant Ellie Trevelyan vows to solve a cold case that has cast a chill over Hurtwood for decades. As Ellie works to separate rumour from fact, Rose must fight to clear the name of the man she loves. But how can Rose keep her family safe if she is the last to know the truth? Um, I enjoyed this book. It's actually set in the county where I live and that um, added, I think, to my enjoyment because I could visualise it um, and this this sense of sort of close unease pervading through. I just found that quite, quite interesting. Um, I like the characters in it. I like Rose and I like Ellie. I thought it's nice to have two strong female characters in, in there. Um, and just the the feeling that you get that all is not right. A, a dose of Rebecca, not full Rebecca, but just a dose of that as well. And what's gone on and what the secrets are and how the past can affect what's happening now um, is one I, I did enjoy. So there we go. So that is The Last to Know by Joe Furness. We've only got one book left. Can you believe it? And then we've got the discussion with Sarah Vaughan. So all is not lost. Do not worry. So 
this last book I should just remove it here now is by Jason Parent and it's called The Apocalypse Strain um, now this is published by Flame Tree Press uh, they're quite a new publisher and I'm very keen to um, read more because they've got some quite interesting books as you know I do like to support smaller publishers and new publishers so I was interested to read this, I'll read you the blurb as well. Uh, let me let me start by saying this isn't the blurb. This is a different book, people. This is not your average book. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, okay, let's read the blurb first. A research team led by a medical genomics. Have I pronounced that red, red right? I, oh, you see, I can't even talk now. Anyway, a research team led by an expert suffering from MS study an ancient panda virus. Yes, I did say virus at a remote Siberian research facility. The organic substance called Molly, M, that's M-O-L-L-I, reveals some unique but troublesome characteristics. It has qualities that, in the wrong hands, could lead to human extinction. The researchers soon learn that even in the right hands, Molly is a force too dangerous to escape their compound, but the virus has a mind of its own and it wants out. Uh, I I really enjoyed this. Now, you might think, how can she read a book about a virus when we are dealing with a global pandemic? And I would say, while it is about a virus, it is a book in a league of its own. It is, well, they, they say it's sort of part horror. Now, I'm no good with horror, as you know. If it's too scary, if I'm going to have to go to sleep with the lights on, then I don't want to know. But this book wasn't like that. It, if you can call acceptable horror, is that a genre? I don't know. And it's almost, I was laughing at points because it's just so, um, it's so awful some of the things that happen and uh, what happens to the individuals and the virus. And I don't mean I was laughing in a, uh, a way against the book or the author. I was just enjoying the story and just thought it was complete madcap adventure um, and that, I think that's why I could read it at, at this point. Um, I think if you're of uh, um, a light disposition and uh, the most alarming thing you want to watch is Aladdin then possibly this book isn't for you but equally if you're interested in reading something a bit different a bit pushing the boundaries sort of horror as in oh my goodness but I think if you watch this if it was a film and you watched it you would laugh out loud because you're like oh my goodness that's pretty terrible what's just happened um so yeah I I certainly will look for more by the author Jason Parent I certainly will look for more books by Flame Tree Press um and uh, yeah I would uh, really suggest if it sounds like something that you would enjoy that you have a read it's certainly different um, but uh, maybe not one to read um, if you're feeling unwell or you uh, yeah you're just about to eat <laughs> uh, so it's Jason Parent the apocalypse strain so there we go let's just do a recap over the books we've got Sarah Vaughan Little Disasters Robert Harris The Second Sleep we've got the lovely lovely Dear Emmy Blue by Leah Lewis. The last to know, John Furness. John Furness? What am I saying? Sorry, Joe. Joe Furness. The last to know by Joe Furness. And the, apoc the Apocalypse Strain by Jason Parent. Dear goodness, 
this is this is not going to be a good day, is it? Um, and so now I'm going to talk to Sarah. Let's hope I can put words together that actually form a sentence and make sense. Otherwise, all will be lost. So let's talk to Sarah now about little disasters and what the book meant to her. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. I absolutely love Little Disasters. My goodness, as uh, it kept me going on a very difficult dog walk. I was just completely hooked by this story. Uh, how did you get the idea? Well, I think all my stories come from several little germs of inspiration. Um, one of them is that my husband's a doctor, and although obviously he can't go into details of, of yeah. cases that he's experienced, he came back one day uh, when he was on call and he looked sort of grey with tiredness and he'd had to make a decision uh, about a safeguarding issue. Mm. And I just remember thinking, you know, if, if, if you look that troubled by it, you know, what must it be like for the family who perhaps are, you know, are completely innocent, but, but they have this, this happen. Um, and the other germ of inspiration was the large one was my own experience after I had my second baby when I experienced uh, not postnatal depression, but postnatal anxiety and um, some intrusive thoughts, which weren't diagnosed as maternal OCD, but with hindsight, I think were probably at the milder end and which didn't require too big an imaginative leap to to imagine myself in in the, the headspace of somebody like Jess yes um and I had a sort of perfect storm of of bad circumstances including not being able to walk in my second pregnancy for 19 weeks and and, and being in chronic pain until my youngest was about three moving from my house in, in in west london where my sister was and i had a support network sort of for my husband's job so moving geographically 50 miles away and being unable to walk uh, giving up the Gosh. career that had sort of validated because of this giving up the career that had sort of validated me since the age of 23 you know and yeah. for 15 years so sort of losing my identity in that way mm. um so this whole sort of storm of circumstances that meant I, my sense of self really fractured a bit like just the character in the novel yeah um so those were the main inspirations wow. but i think also um i remember reading about a case of a of a of a banker's wife who'd experienced postnatal depression and had you know tragically killed her two children and and just thinking about the 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 judgment that we make at, about women who may we, we fear may have you know harmed their children yeah. but also that sense of that desperate sense of of being in a very dark place to be even thinking like that uh yeah and there's the prologue my poor first child it's slightly based on my experience i had a colicky baby and it was a complete um shock i'd been i was 32 when i had my first child um you know everything had been had gone quite swimmingly really you know yeah. you know straight a's oxford you know career yeah. <laughs> and suddenly i was you know and but i had a fertility problem so it was it was a very hard to conceive her but suddenly i had this baby and um I couldn't, you know, I did all the things that, you know, the NCT yes. group told me I should do. She had a drying <laughs> nappy and I fed her and I'd winded her and she still screamed and screamed and screamed. So, so I think that sort of sense of uh, impotence and being completely out of control and not knowing how yeah. to deal with this, this gorgeous newborn who just couldn't tell me why she was so distressed was, um, was a big incentive as well. Not incentive, but a big inspiration as well. I, I always said, I thought it would be like the washing machine. You get an error code, you look it up and you know what to do. But with a child, there's no error code. There's just a problem and it's so hard. Yeah. And I think it also, if you've, if you've been used to 
fixing things and you know you're you come to yes. sort of parenthood in your 30s and you've kind of had a decade of doing career and yes. managing everything and then suddenly you know there is no manual I mean I devoured you know baby whisperer and Gina Fulton mind and you know oh, there's a bit in the baby whisperer it says eat eat sleep yourself you have a period for yourself while the child's sleeping but mine didn't sleep in the day you know? so 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 she didn't fit with the manuals at all um yeah so all oh. of that led into it and the book in some ways it's quite um a simple story and yet it's so complex as well with all the layers that that you put on it's very clever how how you've done that was that something that you were aware of as you were writing or um I think that I always like writing stories from lots of different viewpoints. I'm quite an indecisive person and, and I keep reading novels just from the first person perspective and thinking, why can't I write a novel like this? It would be, <laughs> I'm sure it's not simpler because actually you've got to restrict your point of view. But yeah. I think the, the look, novel I wrote before this was Anatomy, which had a rape yeah. trial at the, at the heart. So that required different narratives because it's all about different points of view and this novel as well requires the the doctor's um, viewpoint and the mother's viewpoint mm. and actually the husband's viewpoint mm. and there are another couple of characters that are much more minor um so it required multiple points of view so i guess that adds adds a level of complexity although although you get that in any sort of close third person book don't you with lots of different viewpoints um i there's a backstory from the 1980s in it um which mm which exists really I think to show that well a it informs the behavior of somebody in the present but it really exists I, I wanted to show that I hope that our attitudes towards maternal mental health have improved and that we're more conscious of that you know yeah. that things are a possibility I mean even when I had my second child um so this was sort of 2008 when I was feeling you know really as if my thought processes were not <laughs> as rational as they might have been yeah. um I could never have said to anybody I'm feeling like this you know the health visitor asks you if you're feeling any of these things and of course you you say do you feel like throwing your baby out of the window no of course not <laughs> you know it just yes. you, no mother is ever going to admit to that other. absolutely uh, and certainly you know things like women's hour never discussed things you know 12 years ago 10 years ago um whereas now you know there's a maternal mental health week and and we always seem to be hearing about it and there's actually a slew of of, of non-fiction books on on motherhood that have just come out and there are going to be some some novels as well because actually it's a really right area of, of, of psychological thriller I think really um but sorry I'm waffling massively no, no, the, 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 the levels I don't know I think I just I think I want to write quite nuanced complex books with lots of different women's perspectives in them and so that's why there's a backstory and at one point I did say I'm going to strip all this out and my editor said no and you know and someone likened it to being like a Russian doll with sort of different layers yes. of women within it which yes. I think is quite a powerful way of putting it. And I think that also the women, hopefully the, 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 the woman in the past, which is only the 1980s, actually she's quite a problematic character because it's not just that she has postnatal depression. She is actually, yes, she is not a good mother. Um, and so I'm trying to, I suppose I was trying to then show that the woman in the present who experiences some similar feelings is, is somebody who requires our sympathy and, uh, and is in a more problematic position, but is not intrinsically cruel in any way you know? yes and the contrast as well really sort of makes you think as a reader and it just it adds more layers again which was just wonderful did did all the characters come to you in one group suddenly they were there and you could see them or one by one did you start to 
consider um, I, I started seeing with with the idea of a, a mother holding a baby um, oh. in a darkened room that sort of image that's the prologue was yes. kind of the starting point yeah. and um, I hope this is too much. the twist that relates to that was kind of there um, it, it it has been my most difficult book to write, I think, because um, Anatomy was such a success and I wrote it relatively quickly. So this, yeah. I felt this sort of burden of expectation. And so it took two, uh, two years, all told, to, to write, to get it right. Um, and I went through several drafts. I'm hoping that the one I'm writing now is not going to, um, won't take as long because I've plotted it a lot more. So actually in the initial draft, there wasn't, there was a, there was a less intense connection between the paediatrician, my paediatrician Liz and um, uh, my mother Jess, they knew each other, but it wasn't, there wasn't the sort of cohort of, of, yeah. of mummy friends. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a sort of group that's, that became more important in subsequent drafts. But yes, the character of Jess and the character who's my mother, who turns up at an A&E department with a baby with a bang to the back of her head and a story mm. doesn't, doesn't add up. And her husband and the character of Liz were, were, and Liz's backstory, I, I knew very much before I started and I knew the, the I knew the if I can say the twist that's suggested by the prologue and the first twist as well towards the end I knew very much yes before I started writing but then other things subsequently um it came along I can't plot rigidly I think it's quite organic it sort of develops as you're as you're going and I felt there was the tension all the way through it's almost have, like having someone playing the violin in the background just sort of you know uh, just going all the time thinking oh, oh my goodness what's gonna happen next oh that's very nice I think that's quite a lot to do with um pacing you know yes. I, I kind of cutting out uh in fact you know even at the end with the final line it's done I was saying oh can I cut out a bit more of the barbecue scene and I get what needs to be quicker and there's too much chewing and throwing there and it's too late by that stage you've got to at some point say no enough um but I think that that came with chopping out stuff and um and sort of really this is so this is my fourth novel I look back at my first novel and I think I hadn't got a clue at all and increasingly as I write you know I'm sort of conscious of the need to to be compelling and to drive the story yes. try and drive the story forward um and and sort of create tension because it is quite a tense subject <laughs> to yes. state, to understate it but I hope because I'm slightly worrying that I'm, I'm selling it as this completely in, in every interview I do as this very bleak book but I hope that at the end there's a there's a there's a sense of optimism and that that was why yeah. the past story was so important a sense that it might be about motherhood and madness I say frequently and, and judgment and friendship but the, there's something redeeming at the end that there's oh, a, yes I wouldn't like, say it's it's bleak at all I think it's a very thought-provoking book it, yes there's this tension but it's also about the emotions and I mean we've all known you know women when you go to baby groups who you think oh they've got they've got it made they've got everything and it just shows with all of us that the image we portray doesn't necessarily represent the truth so uh, absolutely yeah and I think all that so the, the I talk about and I talk about um maternal OCD in it um and I spoke to a perinatal psychiatrist uh, and she was saying it's quite you see it quite a lot in, and it's a big generalization but um women in in she was working at Imperial and, and Paddington women in London who appear to have it all you know and they 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 might have husbands who were doing very very long hours in the city so so their gender roles have become really um uh extreme you know almost yeah. like not 1950s but yeah. you know there's not that sense of someone being at home to help with bath time he's just completely absent and you know they have a level of wealth that means they look they've got it 
as if they've got it all sorted. I mean, Jess, my character, doesn't have to work. She's she's even got perfect hair. She wears you know cashmere yes. jumpers, beautiful jewelry, and all these things. Yes. You know, I, I'm at this effortlessly beautiful um good cheekbones you know skinny for that time <laughs> <laughs> nauseating really right um, and um and it's really interesting you know I, I knew women in when we were in London with my first baby like that and I'm sure looking back well they they would say it wasn't it just wasn't the dream that it appeared to be you know and um I think it's very easy to think that you're the only person who feels as if they've got saggy breasts and are exhausted and, you know all the other you know as if they can't yeah. deal with this this crying baby but actually the women who might have the nanny and go back to work early or, or who have the big house and the and the perfect hairstyle are actually sort of desperately trying to feel in control and appear in control and actually beneath the surface the the cracks might be might be showing yes that's right so this perinatal psychiatrist was saying that you know it's often women who who have been very in control everything's gone perfectly um and then they have something like a, a very traumatic birth and that tr which which just does in my book and then that triggers this sense of being out of control that they've that they've never experienced before and and then that's you know that kind of really plays with their mind really and that you know brings about these feelings of postnatal anxiety and, and intrusive thoughts yeah uh, and it's 430 pages and yet it does <laughs> yeah God. And that sounds like a really big book compared to quite a few, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that when it's ninety-seven thousand. All my books seem to be about ninety-seven thousand words. I'm oh, really? between ninety and a hundred, and they always end up about that. Oh well, that's good. But I mean, I don't know if that means. I mean, I suppose the plot is quite slim to an extent, but there are quite a lot of twists and turns in it. And as you yes. say, there's this backstory. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. Um, yeah, I really just wanted to. I hadn't read a novel inside the head of a woman who who had distorted thinking because not because you know like the girl on the train because it's about drink or yes. you know but because because of motherhood really yes um and uh i wanted to write really about the the brute brutal honesty with, with brutal honesty about how discombobulating it can be so yeah. obviously Jess's behavior is quite extreme <laughs> and I should reassure everybody that the baby's all right in the end but you know she does very very irrational things but it didn't take it didn't take too big a leap to imagine that I think quite a few yeah. psychological thrillers there might be twists that just psychologically don't make yes. sense yeah. but I could imagine actually that that you might do the irrational things that Jess does if you were yeah. that compelled you know and tell is a is can be manifested as a sort of compulsion to do things if yeah. you're that yeah. compelled to believe your 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 baby was in jeopardy at, at no stage did I think oh gosh I I can't imagine that would happen but I'll go with it for the sake of the story I, I you know it was very believable as you say and the cover I thought was lovely very sort of symbolic and it's lovely isn't it and uh, we they actually um took a picture with a model and a staircase uh, um to, to get that right image at the front and and oh. the the um I think that on the hardback cover the 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 dark paper looks looks as if it's I mean it's almost 3d doesn't it, it looks like it's yes. been ripped back and the idea was a bit like with the anatomy um cover where you had the idea of sort of uh, they're meant to be sort of shredded tapes oh, and, and yeah. shred, shredded words that have been um um sliced like yes, sort of legal of documents yes. and, and the woman looking through it and this is the sort of sense of a sort of pristine lifestyle that's been ripped apart really or torn apart um by 
by you know her her experience her third mm. experience of motherhood i should say that jess she's had two little books she's had two boys who are 10 and 8 when the book start, starts um and motherhood's been absolutely fine it's just when she has this third baby to complete her family and she's she's known really she's felt quite ambivalent about having that um and then she has this this difficult birth uh where things don't quite go to plan mm. the sort of uh, the lovely home birth doesn't happen mm. and um and that that's that's really sort of rocks her that's yeah so what next i mean anatomy of a scandal oh. is coming out on netflix i believe it is so i've had to keep really silent about that so i actually sold it over two years ago though not to netflix to, to the team who created um big little lies the one of the producers yeah. and the writer behind that and then um uh, last year they sold it to Netflix and I've had to keep really quiet um, but yeah it's it's been an incredible experience I felt very involved I'm executive producing uh, which sounds quite oh, glam yeah. uh, but um, obviously Covid has kind of delayed everything um, because filming can't take place until I think there are sort of broadcasting wide protocols and then Netflix has its own protocols that obviously a set has to be completely safe mm. to sort of you know um, but I think that I'm allowed to say that um, the expectation is that they will be filming um, later this year. Uh, they will start filming later this year, which is really, really exciting. And I keep mm. hearing things about, you know, how Netflix's subscriptions gone up by 10 million in the last yeah. three months. There's this desire for good content. So um, hope for, I'm really I can't say anything about no, um, no, casting or anything yet. <laughs> but I can't wait until I can. It's it, I'm really, really excited. And and what I'm so excited about is that. Um, I mean, I had I had a few offers, and um, the reason I went with these particular um, this team is because they did such a good um, job with Big Little Eyes. I felt, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's that idea that actually, if it's on Netflix, it's going to meet this really wide yes. audience, you know. Yeah. And um, I've had love, really lovely messages from women who, um, unfortunately, have been in similar positions to. Um, uh, to Holly, my character mm. in the book, um, and or you know women who've had to give evidence in a, a, a trial like Olivia, mm. um, uh, the character who's who, who's alleging rape, um, and um, you know that, that these women have sort of said that I've really encapsulated their emotions and their experiences. So, you know, if 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 it's if there's anything that helps with a further discussion of or, or a further probing of you know what is consent and what's acceptable, then yes then that's brilliant you know and Absolutely. i'm sure this will bring it to a far obviously will bring it to a far wider audience than you know than my book has done on its own so that's brilliant so i've been a bit involved with that which has delayed me a bit and i can't say any more about the book that i'm currently writing but it will be published and i'm really really excited about it the one i'm writing at the moment yeah well no i, I promise that i won't say it because i was no, ma madly telling everybody the title and the plot and, and then i've been advised that perhaps i shouldn't do that in case someone comes and nicks the idea <laughs> oh no we so, don't we don't want that to happen no yeah. enough. well sarah thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it and uh, can't wait to hear more about little disasters and and the next book as well thank, thank you thank you thanks so there we go. Lots of books, lots of different books covered today. Interview with a great author. Gosh, it's fascinating to hear what Sarah had to say. Um, and uh, lovely to hear what the Facebook group are, are reading. Just great. So uh, we'll leave it there for today. But don't worry, <laughs> because next week I have got some crackers to talk to you about and another author interview so just wait for that it's gonna be brilliant um and uh, look after yourselves just take care and i'll speak to you again very soon take care now bye bye <laughs>
You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.